Hey, Court TV podcast listeners. Courtrooms are still shut down across the country, but that doesn't mean you can't get your fix of the American justice system. We have hours of complete trials available in the Trials on Demand section of CourtTV.com, including the trial we speak about in this encore presentation of the podcast. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Today on the Court TV podcast, we dive deeper into the trial of Skylar Richardson, the Ohio cheerleader accused of killing her newborn infant. From her questionable confession to the disturbing family dynamics, plus a preview of Court TV's next big trial. And trust me, you've heard of this one. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Vinnie Politan. I'm a former prosecutor. I'm seated here with my colleague and friend, Seema Iyer. Hello. Hello. How yeah. are you? Good. You're a former prosecutor, too. I am, even though you don't believe that I was. No, I don't. I was a former prosecutor. I am a former prosecutor and a criminal defense attorney there you go. for most of my career. And then I worked for the NYPD. Okay. So you, you've, you've got a, an incredible background. Um, I'd like to thank the thousands of people who have been downloading the podcast. I can't believe it, right? It, it's unreal. <laughs> I, I just need them to do one more thing for us, which is leave us those five-star reviews. We beg. Please, on We're Apple. Very do that. greedy. That would be awesome. So- at Court TV now, we're in the middle of this incredible trial. Skylar Richardson was an 18-year-old cheerleader when she got pregnant, hid the pregnancy, and then either gave birth to a stillborn child and buried it in the backyard or murdered her newborn and buried it in the backyard. This case is trauma, twists, turns, every issue from good parenting to bad parenting to whether this was, in fact, murder. Uh, I've learned more about uh, gynecology than I ever thought in my history of being a woman. Well, I, yeah, well, I don't know too much either before this trial, but it's an, it's an important uh, part of all of this. And anthropology. Yes, yes. But I did study that a little bit in high school. Anthropology? A little bit. Did just, you really? Just a little bit. Okay, so you follow this along. But, okay, so, and the the most, I think, uh, interesting issue of all is these police interviews. Right. That because Skyler's there's given. no direct evidence of murder here because the, the, the remains were gone because they did not recover them for two, two and a half months. So there's no forensic way to determine how this child died or when this child died or was stillborn. It's impossible to prove. So they, they need this alleged confession that they got. Right. And so let's just do the little bit of a timeline for the listeners. On April 26, 2017, Skylar Richardson, at the prompting of her mom, goes to her OBGYN. And this was actually the doctor that she saw, Dr. Andrew, was the doctor that delivered her. So she goes to see him to get some birth control pills, finds out she's pregnant, uh, doesn't tell anybody. But then 11 days later, on May 7th, she buries the baby. Her position is the baby was stillborn. Again, doesn't tell anybody, but then she goes back to the doctor 
for a refill of her birth control prescription, and that was on July 12th. She's another doctor in the practice, Dr. Boyce, and at that point says, I buried my stillborn baby. Right, because they're wondering how to go with the pregnancy that you never came back to the office about. And people in the office noticed, Vinny. There right. were staff there that said, wait a minute, this woman's coming, this girl is coming back without a baby. So after that, Dr. Boyce, Dr. Andrew, they speak uh, with each other, and then they actually uh, report this to the law enforcement, and then she's indicted soon after. She's arrested, indicted. But this is when the confessions start happening. So... July 12th is when she tells the doctor. Everything starts happening really quickly. Crime scene, uh, going to the backyard, finding the baby, getting Skylar, talking to Skylar. The first interview slash interrogation was July 14th. And in that interview, and we're going to dissect a big part of that involving the parents later on in the show, but that interview, uh, no lawyer, no, no, no lawyer and no admission either. She doesn't. No she lawyer, doesn't no judge. admission. She, she says stillborn. Yeah. She says stillborn. That is it. Now, I do not understand how six days later she is back talking to the cops and again, no lawyer. It's it's mind boggling because these are I mean, these are not unsophisticated people, but they're people who, who appear to me to be very naive about what's going on. The way I look at this is the first time she's interviewed and she's released, yes. right? So she goes in for a second interview, and I believe in that second interview she expects to be released again. Okay, yes, but wait, this is really important to know because I, we're, everybody's like, where is the lawyer? Because in the first interview, the parents bring up lawyers. She says, do I need a lawyer? The second interview, six days later... Uh, I believe that the father was contacted. The cops left a message for the father, but the father, I guess, didn't think she needed a lawyer. So she goes back alone. And and you're saying, yeah. And this is where the story, I, I think the listeners really need to understand because, you know, I am, uh, I, I've always been a proponent of, you know, using a false confession expert in this case, because if you listen to how the story unfolds, it does make sense. And, and and the transcript of the of these interviews are on CoreTV.com, so you can read along while you're listening to us. But I am talking about, like, the second page of this transcript. The first thing they're saying is, hey, we won't be here long. It won't be as long as the other day. And the very first thing she says is, and I'll get to go home with my parents. And then the lieutenant responds, Oh, then she says it again. I'll get to go home with my parents. And he says, I think so. Yeah. Now, this is so important for our listeners to understand that in the mindset of an 18-year-old, she's, this is the starting point. I'm going to get to go home, right? Yeah, that's the most important thing. And it happened previously. The first time she was there, she told them whatever they whatever she told him and she got, went home at the end of the at the end of the interview there was no arrest there were no charges none of that so going into this second interview which is the key to the entire case she believes she's going home and police say yeah you're going to go home but police are allowed to lie okay that's the first thing we must establish here is that police do not have to tell you the truth about anything in an interview Legally, they do not have to. They can lie from the beginning to the end. Okay, that is true. right? And, that, and I'm glad you reminded everybody of that. But if we are going to look at this and question, 
a confession on July 20th, 2017, when there was none on July 14, 2017, we have to understand Skylar Richardson's 18-year-old mindset. And she walks into that saying, I am going home. But then... Again, you know, they, she's, she's still talking about this. Like, are you guys going to take me away? This is just a little, uh, little more into the transcript. And they're just like, why? Why are you asking? Just keep talking to us. So they're talking through what happened the day that she gave birth. Uh, and, and, you know, she's talking about she gave birth to this baby in the toilet. Literally. She sat on the toilet. And she wasn't, she wasn't crouching over the toilet. Sitting on the toilet, the baby came out. And that's been her story from the beginning. One revelation, though, that she did not mention in the first interview is that she tried to catch the baby. She couldn't. The baby fell. And Skylar says she may she might have bumped her head a little. So that was a bit of a revelation that wasn't discussed first. But again, still staying with the stillborn. Okay. Right, and bumped their head a little. She didn't say, I tried to smash her head. There's a difference, right? My baby's coming out, I tried to smash her head. That's murder, okay? I'm giving birth by myself in my room, in my bathroom. I'm sitting on the toilet. A baby comes out, and she may have bumped her head a little. But things shifted when the cops kept pressing her, and then this exchange happened. You said something really interesting. You said, I think maybe I held her too tight. Tell me what that means. I, I just think she's breathing in. So how do you go from I didn't do anything wrong. When am I going home to I think I'm the one who killed her? Well, the way we get there is that these two investigators had information that they got before the second interrogation that they didn't have before the first interrogation, which was an expert scientist, forensic expert, telling them that the bones had been burned, that the baby was burned, the bones were charred. And based upon that information, both of these investigators were convinced that she had burned the baby, when in reality, that same expert recanted that opinion and had a second opinion telling investigators, I'm not going to lie for them, and saying, my second opinion is the bones were not burned, the baby wasn't burned, the bones were not charred. So these investigators are acting upon a, a piece of information that they believe is absolutely true that is absolutely not true. And what is so confounding is that why the prosecutor, and this is, you're talking about Elizabeth Murray, that was the first forensic anthropologist who recanted her original opinion. They didn't call her on their case in chief. I, I, I still don't understand why. But yes, but here's the thing. The investigators don't go into this interview first confronting her with that fact. They just keep going. No, but I know, think based on that fact, they believe that this is a murderer. They, oh, they're not a believing. Percent. They're not believing and, to stillborn because they have they have made it up in their minds that this 18 year old didn't want a baby and killed that baby and burned that baby. And after that last exchange, then she again says, and this is really important. Again, she's like, "Okay, I said it. Maybe I killed her a little. Maybe I squeezed her too tight." Then the next thing she says is, "Can I go home with my parents?" She's still thinking, "Okay, I want to go home." Now, then. And this is where 
everything changes. And this is what you're saying comes into play. There is an exchange where Detective Carter says, tell me about the fire. And Skyler says, what fire? And in the video, and this is on CoreTV.com, you can see her whole body just, what's the word, like retorts, contracts. Like there's, there's, there's a, like you can see a visible physical reaction that she has no idea what anyone's talking about. What fire? And then the, the detective says, there's some evidence to show that there was some burning on her. Skylar burned her. I promise anything. I didn't burn her. My dad has lots of bonfires, but I didn't burn her. Vinny, this exchange goes on for pages where there are literally over 10 no responses from Skylar. She is absolutely no. And she she said, I didn't do anything with fire. Is it possible? No. I, I mean, every question is no. Uh, I didn't mean... Um, with lit fire, did you put her in the fire pit? No. Uh, this would have been after she was dead. So it's not like, no. No microwave, no oven, no. The, every question is unequivocally no. Denies it. And, and the whole concept of the fire, remember where it comes from. It comes from the investigator's expert. From the expert. These two, in, these two interrogators are convinced the baby was burned and they're trying to get her to tell the truth about it because they believe she's lying. Well, no matter how many times Skylar says no, they do not let this go. More next. Vinny, you just talked about Dr. Elizabeth Murray, the first forensic anthropologist who recanted her opinion. But that first opinion is what these cops were armed with when confronting Skylar Richardson during the second interview on July 20th, 2017. They said things to her about that first opinion, such as it's a medical fact. There was something with a fire. They said to her forensic medical evidence. They were certain. Oh, absolutely. They, they were convinced. And, and, and they were using that as the basis for their tactics against this 18-year-old girl. And, and, and let's not forget, folks, if you, if you haven't seen the video, you can see it on CourtTV.com. The female interrogator oh, yeah. is holding Oof. Skylar Richardson's hands, okay? It's so holding weird. Holding her hands during this interrogation, it, it is so awkward to watch. It's cringy. And just I want to remind everybody, hello, I used to work for the NYPD. I have represented police officers, detectives, lieutenants, and I don't think any of my people would think that was okay. No, and she's the lead investigator, and, and, and she is... Um, using tactics. She's allowed to do that. She lies to Skylar throughout. Now, this this part is so fascinating because a lot of times police will use lies as a, as a tool to get to the truth. But here, they believe the truth is one thing, and they're using it to try to get her to confess to it. But they get her to confess to something that isn't true, yes. but they believe is true. That's why this is so upside down, inside out. And, and, and the best analogy I can give to you is normally in, in an interrogation, you want to lock a suspect into a story. 
But what happens in this interrogation is the prosecution gets locked into a story. They've locked themselves into the story that this baby was burned, even though their own expert comes back and says, no, she wasn't. And they're still on trial with it. In the opening statement, they said something like they said something ridiculous, like evidence of no charring doesn't mean no charring. That's what they said. Right. That's yeah. Just because there's no evidence that she was burned doesn't doesn't mean mean she she wasn't wasn't burned. burned. What? what country is this? <laughs> I don't Hello? know. I'm a former prosecutor, and I established this at the top. I'm a former prosecutor, and and I hold prosecutors to a certain standard because our job. You do, and you business, love them. Yeah, I do. You but, but our job as prosecutors time. is to do justice. It's not to get convictions. It's to get justice. And what is justice? It's the truth. It's the truth. And the truth is, the expert has said these bones were not charred. There was no burning. And there's no other evidence anywhere that there was a burn in this case, that there was a fire anywhere. And when you talk about coercion, confession, this is one phrase that the police continuously use throughout this uh, July 20th interview. And that is, you're so close. Just give us all the truth that's left. Skylar. You're so close. And they keep saying you're so close. So they have their narrative that they want her to fit. Okay, so now but the this problem, is when— Here's the problem. They want her to admit to burning this baby. And, and then she admits to burning the baby, and she says, I, I dug the hole, and then I got a lighter, and I set the baby on fire. Okay. Uh, now, here's—all no, right, we're going to talk about it. But this is the weirdest thing. So— the word cremation comes up, okay? Right. And, and we, we hear, you know, she says something, whatever, and I really looked at the transcript to say who brought up this word because I don't know many 18-year-olds who know the word cremation, especially if you're not. Like, I'm a Hindu. We get cremated, so I probably knew that word before most people. But the fact that this is even in her vocabulary. She's always showing off about things like that. I am. So listen, this they bring up the word cremation. I counted four or five times. Investigators. To her, investigators to her. They, they did that with every aspect of this case. When they talked about, oh, the baby was making noise, they brought it up. The fire, they brought it up first. Everything that they say she confessed to, they brought up first. And when she, you know, she, again, no, 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 no. But they explained to her that there was only, I guess, evidence of charring on the bottom of the baby. Right. And... Then, you know, at some point she says to them, and this is this is just I OK, I, I don't even know how it happened because she keeps saying no. And then one of the cops says, tell me everything that you were thinking, everything you did, just so I know, like I was there. And out of nowhere, she says, I thought I could cremate her. I had a lighter and just. That was the first that a was lighter. The first, a, a lighter. lighter. OK, so now uh, you had an expert on. Yes. To your show to talk about this whole idea of cremating a baby. Let's play a clip from that. Bodies don't simply light on fire. I would have to hear something that there was some other fuel, uh, some other uh, method that was used. Again, maybe there was clothing or something that was put on the body. An infant has a much higher water content uh, than the human body. Human body is 50, 60 percent water. Uh, An infant is closer to 80 percent water. You need to be well over a thousand degrees for a cremation process to occur. You're not going to get that kind of fuel from a lighter. Wow. Wow. Right. That's uh what he's saying is you can't just set 
a baby on fire. You could take a lighter and hold it to a baby. And we're not talking about a baby that has clothes on. This baby doesn't have clothes. This is a newborn. There are no clothes, no towel, nothing. Right, because she did say that first she took, she, the baby had a towel after she left the house. She had the baby in the bathroom, put in a towel. But before she put the baby in the hole, she took off the towel. And, and no uh, towel was recovered and from no, the scene Right, there. and no towel was recovered. And she even says, uh, you put her, I think she, you know, now she's saying, oh, I lit her on fire after she put her in the hole. And then they're asking, like, which part of the baby did you burn, the top or the bottom? But they had originally told her that the facts that they were given were it was the bottom of the baby. So how does she respond? The bottom. Because she's responding to what they are saying she needs right. to say to go home. To go she home. She wants to go home. That's all she wants. And And here's the problem. Again, the baby wasn't burned. Do not forget that, ladies and gentlemen. The baby wasn't burned, okay? So now you've got her confessing to burning the baby. There's no evidence that the baby was burned, and babies don't burn. You could take a lighter, and don't do this. This is, this is, this is ridiculous, but you, you take a newborn, put a lighter on the feet of the newborn. The newborn is not catching on fire. It doesn't work that way. There needs to be an accelerant, something else that is either clothing or lighter fluid or something like that. And there's no evidence of any of this anywhere near the scene where she confesses to burning the baby. So there is no way that you are going to convince me or have convinced me that this baby was burned, yet you got her to say she did it. And that's the biggest problem. Do I have with you, okay, all of this. Wait, do you also have a problem with the cops in this interview trying to get her to say that there were signs of life, that there were signs of the baby moving? Because, uh, you know, and the cops say to her, I want to be able to tell the doctor what all the signs you saw. And they're feeding her the signs, like, you know, whether she was moving or whether she was making sounds or what was happening in the toilet uh, when the baby, you know, came out of her. Is it the same, you know, is that part of the same problem that you're pointing to with the burning? Absolutely, because I know for a fact the baby wasn't burned, and I know for a fact that prosecutors were the first ones to talk about it, and I know for a fact she parroted what they said, and I know all of that is not true. So now you want me to believe beyond a reasonable doubt the rest of that confession. And again, it's the same scenario. Every fact she confesses to, they introduce first. And now you want me to believe that beyond a reasonable doubt? And, you know, here's the deal. So right when she they say they want signs that of life, they want signs of life. OK, she says, I saw her arms maybe a little bit moving and literally five sentences later, Skylar, yeah, I'm just really ready for it to be over. I don't want to go to jail. So again, she thinks, I gave you what you want. Now I get to go home. Okay, again, like the July 14th interview, the parents come into the room. Yes. And mm. I, I don't even, I, I mean, this is so hard to listen to, but we, we got to listen to it again. This is what Skylar tells her dad. Tommy tells what's going on. He says, you have to tell us you're 18. You can't tell us. I, I tried to cremate the baby just a little. You tried to cremate the baby? Yeah, I did it. Does it even sound like he, like nobody even understands the word cremate. Right. But what does cremate a little mean? And 
But but here's the problem, right? She's now told not just investigators, but now mom and dad are coming into the room, and she's telling mom and dad. And and to me, this gets to the heart of what's happened here. This is all about relationships. It's about an 18-year-old growing up in a household with mom and dad and that dynamic. And I think to really understand what happened here and why it happened, you have to understand the family dynamic. We're going to talk about that next. This case is about the alleged murder of a baby. So you've got that relationship, a a newborn mother and her newborn child, which is ultimately what the case is about. But to understand what happened between that new mother and her newborn, you have to understand the relationship between this newborn mother who is 18 years old and her parents and and her lifetime and and that interaction that dynamic and when you talk about the Skylar Richardson case it is um it's difficult to understand and and how it has impacted her and her decision making and whether that means she's guilty or not guilty can be interpreted i think either or both ways in this case because it's such a complex relationship her mother can give Joan Crawford a run for her money Mm, yeah. Mommy dearest. Yeah. Oh my God, those text messages now, these between are the, the, mother and daughter. These are the 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 text messages after after Skylar knew she was pregnant. So Skylar found out she was pregnant on April 26th, and then there are messages between mom and daughter between April 26th and you know, were brought in front of the jury until after the baby was delivered. Uh, So she gave birth on May 7th. And even after that, these text messages where, uh, listen, I I use something called MyFitnessPal where I put in calories and what I work out. That could be the mom and daughter's text messages. I ran three miles. I burned 500 calories. It is so weird and dysfunctional and sad. I well, it is unhealthy. I and, think it's unhealthy that I'm obsessed with my fitness pal, let alone right. having mommy dearest count my calories. Well, the other part of this is is that she has a history since middle school. That's true. Skylar Richardson, she a does. fluctuating weight and and sneaking food into her room and going up thirty pounds, down thirty. And she's she's not a a, a huge child. No, she's five two. Five two and going up and down thirty pounds is so dramatic and drastic. But she has done it throughout her lifetime in the span of six months. And we've seen these photos inside the courtroom of, you know, before sophomore year, then in the middle of the sophomore year, and there's an incredible difference in weight. And, you know, all of it has to do with this this, uh, uh, eating disorder. Eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating. But how much of it has to do with what she has and, and, and how her mother is interacting with her about the issue? Oh, absolutely. Now, just so for some context for our listeners, on April 25th, the day before she saw the doctor, she was 149 pounds. On May 18th, she was 119 pounds. It can be presumed through the interactions between mother and daughter and those text messages, and, and you know, you can watch this part of the trial on CourtTV.com, that Skylar was may have started to lose weight or have been consciously trying not to gain weight after she found out she was pregnant, which is terrible. Sure. 
it, it, it's, it's bad. So this is the way I, I look at the issue and the way it plays. So on the one hand, prosecutors are saying this is the motive for murder. She, she cared more about herself and her appearance, and, and she wanted that baby gone because she wanted the baby weight gone. She's more concerned about her tummy than the dead baby in the backyard. She's cold, callous, and she all she cares about is the way she looks and the way she listen, appears. Listen, listen, I am having a problem because, okay, just hold on a second. If... You do not want to have this baby, which we know on April 26th. She, she told Dr. Andrew, I don't want to have this baby, number one. Number two is you know that you are, it's not vanity, it may be an illness, okay? Let, I just give her that. It's an illness. But that's what prosecutors okay. will argue it's but vanity. wait, but it doesn't matter. If it's vanity or it's an illness, the point is I want to be thin. I want a flat stomach. You're telling me it's not bloody convenient that the baby's stillborn? Come on. Well, the stu- the baby comes out either way, alive or dead. Yeah, it's got the same but, impact no, on the stomach. There's no I, difference. No, but I'm just saying, like, you don't think it's convenient? You don't think it's so damn convenient that this kid is stillborn instead of perhaps she's born alive if she's born and al- then drowned in the toilet? You know the easiest way for new moms to lose weight after giving birth to a child? Breastfeeding. Choose yeah, up a ton of calories and you lose not. weight. Yes, because you're feeding two. So if you're talking about straight vanity, um, if the baby was alive, you she could even, probably she, get the. She probably didn't even know what, about breastfeeding. She was taking birth control pills while she was pregnant. You think that she knows about breastfeeding? I understand. Mr. Mom? But there's no difference between giving birth to a live child or a stillborn child in terms of weight loss and the impact that it has on your body. Plus, she didn't want a baby. Well, she didn't want, that's the other part. But let's get back to the whole fluctuating weight. Sure. From the defense perspective, right? You, you look at this and what could have happened to this child? How could this child have come out stillborn? Well, if you've got someone with an eating disorder and the baby isn't growing and there's problems Wait. there in the way she is treating herself. No, you're wrong. You know why the, you're wrong? I'll why? tell you why. Because the doctor that, uh, Dr. Andrew that did her initial blood test said that she wasn't anemic. And then Dr. Brady, another doctor for the prosecution testified that if, okay, so if she Sorry, uh, let me explain. The nutrients go to the baby first. So if the mother wasn't getting enough nutrients, she would come she would come across as anemic. Scholar Richardson was not anemic, and there was no other signs that the baby wasn't healthy. That may be true, but that's Dr. Andrew, right? That's the doctor who prescribed birth Brady. control pills to a pregnant 18-year-old? Wait, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. He tried to call it back. He didn't though. He tried to he cancel didn't. it. He tried to he did listen. Not. He has his staff did. Well, why? His staff why tried. Wait, why is he prescribing pills before seeing the patient? Because the mother, because mommy dearest, because of malpractice. Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford called it in. I, I, I see, Doctor Andrew. I take all of his testimony with a grain of salt because he's in CYA mode in this trial because he knows that he and his office messed up. Well, you know what? Big time. The appellate court didn't think so. The appellate court felt that whatever he did on that April 26th Prescribing was, birth control pills to consistent. a pregnant 18-year-old? Come on. Come on. That's, that's But let's get back. Let's get All back right. to the point here. Now. Focus. The, yeah. Because I look at this not just through mom's eyes, but I really look at this case through dad's eyes. Sure. Now, I'm about to play for you the moment where Dad is now in the interrogation room with his daughter. This is in the first interrogation. But before you judge the father, and I've tried hard not to judge him because he's learning all at once, number one, 
that his 18-year-old cheerleading senior in high school daughter was pregnant. That's tough. She hid the pregnancy. She gave birth to the child in the home while he was there and then buried that child in the backyard. And now police are digging up his backyard looking for the the baby, and he now walks in and is having a discussion with his daughter about all of this. Take a listen. You did a horrible thing. You got pregnant. You had a baby in our house, and you never told us. I could. Yes, you should have. Do you understand how much worse this is than that would have been? That's what we're trying to grasp. Because we were thinking that we were trying to do the things that were right for you, and they went horribly wrong. Oh, things went wrong. Things went really wrong. And he also um, interrogates her during this and cross-examines her. And Are call- you judging and- the dad? No, no, and calls her a liar. Okay, good. That's good. That's fine. I think he handled it uh, appropriately. I think I think my parents, you know, when she's like, do you guys still love me? My mother has been watching this trial, and she said to me, I would have said, uh, no, we don't still love you, and wow. we're going to, we're going to, put you in a crate and ship you to India and never talk to you again. There, you buried a baby in our backyard, Seema. Hit the bricks. Well, there's two things going on here. And, and in this first meeting, what really struck me was the detective is holding the hands of Skylar Richardson more than her own mother. She asked her mother to hold her hand, and her mother does not hold her hands. The mother's in shock. The, well, whatever's going on with the mother. They're also, the, you look at the body language, there's a table in the room, and mom and dad are sitting across from Skylar Richardson, and and it's om- they're in, sitting in the same position as the detectives, and they're not there um, on the same side of the table. There is n- there's no way, and I, and I know, like I said, I don't want to judge the father. All this stuff, all at once, is difficult, but this is like a moment where she is reaching out. Skylar Richardson is reaching out for something from her parents, and 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 being a parent is is hard, it's difficult, but you choose to do it. And there has to be, at some point, some level of unconditional love and support. They said the words, but I didn't see it in the body language, and I think that speaks volumes about what was going on in that house. They were in shock, number one. Number two, that is a police station. There's a lot of intimidation when you walk into that room. They don't know where to sit. They're just sitting wherever. They're they're, they're just in shock. You cannot judge someone else's actions. We all react differently to things. We're all exposed to different things. You and I are exposed to these situations. We would react differently. They probably have never been in a police station in their whole lives. Right, which is why they didn't call a lawyer. Oh, yeah. Well, anyhow, to me, you have to you have to dissect and try to figure out what her life is to understand and explain her actions, which clearly she did the wrong thing. Everyone agrees to that. Right. But the question ultimately, was it aggravated murder or not? And that same question is going to be part of the next big case that we're covering on Court TV. It's a case involving a man who is just home alone in his apartment. He's an accountant. And then all of a sudden, someone else is in his apartment with a gun, shoots him twice. He dies. Sounds like an open and shut case for prosecutors. But it's not. And I'll explain it when we come back.
Jury selection is underway for the next big case here at Court TV. It's a case out of Dallas, Texas. Once I start describing it, you're all going to go, oh, yeah. Because the whole country's been watching this since it happened. Absolutely. It was September 6th of 2018. Amber Geiger, 31-year-old Dallas police officer, is working like a 13-hour shift or so, goes home to her apartment complex. She uh, parks in the parking deck, gets out of her car, and goes to an apartment. And inside that apartment that she goes to is a 26-year-old accountant from Price Waterhouse Coopers. Uh, Bothan Jean is his name. Bothan Jean. And he's home alone. Somehow, we don't know how, Amber Geiger makes her way into that apartment, ends up shooting him twice. He dies. She calls 911. Now, the question for this case is, how did she get into the apartment? Right. Why was she there? Why did she shoot him? Her claim, which you hear on the 911 call, which was leaked against the judge or over the judge's order of Yeah, this judge is tough. This judge is tough. She doesn't want any of this information out ahead of time. Yeah. But but the 911 call was leaked. And in that call, Amber Geiger says over and over again, I made a mistake. It's the wrong apartment. I thought it was my apartment. Her apartment is directly one floor below the victim's apartment. Oh, God, this is such tragedy. But the, how, did, how does she get into the apartment? Why is she on the wrong floor? What is going okay, on Okay, wait, here? do we know if the door was unlocked? That's that's the mystery. Okay. Well, and different reports have said I different think, things. I think this speaks to the larger issue. And for me, someone who uh, you remember the Amadou Diallo case. Yes. And that was out of Bronx uh, County. And this was in 1999, I think. So I was actually a DA then. I was a prosecutor in the Bronx and uh, the the. Police officers involved were street crimes officers. I was friends with all of them. I actually just got a text message from one the other day. So I really, this brings back a lot of memories about that case, about officers making mistakes and then killing people. Right. But this is this is a little different because she's not on duty. She's off duty. She's in her but uniform. But she came out off a, a, a long shift. Off the long shift, has her uniform on, but it, 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 she's not responding to a call. I'm, she's not investigating right, right. a crime. But it's What speaks, is she doing there? This is, this, well, she, she lives in that building, number one. Number two is I think the issue that it speaks to for me as someone who worked for the NYPD is the lack of training of these police officers that I just don't think I, I have not seen enough training, especially she's 31 years old. She's a young police officer. Has she had enough training? Number one. Number two is what was her physical condition? Was she overtired. 13 hours doesn't seem like a long shift, but I'm sure you know that doctors, you know, when we were young, doctors would work uh, 160 hours a week. And now there are limits. The sure. uh, American Medical Association has put limits on to how long doctors can work because they cannot function properly on so little sleep dealing with people's lives. Mm -hmm. So what condition was Amber Geiger in? I think that's going to be a central issue in this case. Central issue. She's been charged with murder, was originally charged with manslaughter, then in indicted for murder in this case. The defense is saying not guilty. This is an accident. She went to the wrong apartment. It was it was it was a but she tragic did. mistake. What? And she believed that there was an intruder in her apartment. And if you're in Texas and someone breaks into your apartment, you can shoot them. Yeah.
You can shoot them. So she believed, according to the defense, that she was in her own apartment. There was an intruder there, and she shot him and killed him. Now, uh, the trial is set to start September 23rd is the date. They're choosing a jury uh, now. So uh, this is the next big one on, on Court TV. It is one. Now, big facts that I left out, right? She is white. He is black. And that is why this has been uh, attracting national attention, a lot of protesting involved. And I, I think that the the courthouse is just going to be surrounded by people interested in this case. Absolutely. Now, she's been fired as a police officer. Uh, but again, the defense is saying not guilty, accident, prosecutors saying murder. So that's our big next big trial. Okay, September 23rd, that is starting. And uh, next week, we will have another episode. But until then, please rate, review, praise Vinny. He well, but, needs it. He needs a lot of attention. Rate, you got to tell him what to You got to give oh, us five. Five. Give us the well, five. D- well, not, I don't want, like, did you think I wanted one? Well, if someone's going to rate us no. and give us a two, we don't I want, want that No, rating. no, then you just keep no, it to yourself. Remain, keep it to yourself. Exercise your right to remain silent. Do it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> See you later. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.